Okay, Boker Tov, we continue discussing the Shema and the powerful message of the Shema, the radical change of understanding reality. And uh, we discuss how Hashem, the impossible, is the possible. And that's the realm of understanding the unity of Hashem. Sarah Pinchas says another big Chiddush, and I'll say it over, although I have a question on it, and I don't have an answer to the question. But let's see. He, he maintains that the power of prayer is so great that he even works retroactively. So he starts with a story. There was a city that, uh, you know, in the over 100 years ago, 200 years ago, some cities when the, the czar would have his soldiers passing through in your city, you'd have to house them for free. So there was such a situation and you can understand that the soldiers, they take advantage and they eat and they drink and they steal things and the city became impoverished. It was a very intolerable situation. It was going on for months and months. So the people said, you know, we got to go to a Rebbe and uh, Hasidish Rebbe get a bracha that Hashem should save us. So the Rebbe said, okay, but you have to give me a thousand rubles that I can give for tzedakah. And in the schus of your tzedakah, I'll pray that things should be helped. So some people didn't want to do it. They said, we're already impoverished from the uh, soldiers. How are we going to find a thousand rubles? But there were Hasidim there, and they eventually ended up collecting the thousand rubles. The Rebbe davened. And the next day, a telegraph came from the Tsar and telling, or whatever, the headquarters, telling them, okay, they should leave that city. Uh, so now, a lot of the people who did not want to give the money to begin with, they wanted the money back from the Rebbe. Why? Because in those days, if a telegraph is received, it means it was sent days before. So what did your bracha help? The fact that we got the telegram today, telegram today, it means it was sent at least two, three days ago before you even davened. So your prayer didn't help because we would have got the telegraph, the telegram anyway. So the Rebbe said like this. He says, you want me to daven today and the, and the, and the soldiers left a couple days ago? You need to know that my tefillah helped retroactively. Helped retroactively. It helped that the fact that I doubted today made it that two days ago they didn't send the telegram, but then they did. So that was real wild. So it's okay, we have to take this to a Din Torah. I mean, you're a Hasidish rabbi, but we have the rabbi of the city. So it brought to the rabbi of the city, and the rabbi agreed with the rebbe. And he brought a proof from a story in the Navi. In Shmuel Bays, we know that when the Plishtim returned the ark, or the, the ark was in a certain place before it went to the base on the went to line. So it was in a, the house of a person called Edom Oved Edom Hagiti. So it says, and it, and the Aaron was three months in his place. It was there three months. 
So they, they returned the ark. It goes back to this place. It's there for three months. And Hashem blessed Oved Edom and all his family. And the rabbi said, what was the blessing? So Gemara says his wife and their eight daughter-in-laws each gave birth to six tuplets that were healthy. So now the rabbi said, how long was the ark over there? A whole three months. Okay. And that means that his wife and the eight daughter-in-laws, they gave birth while the ark was in their house. So it must be that the pregnancy started six months beforehand. Oh, so we see that a blessing helps for something retroactively. So, and then Rav Pincus hastens to add, I may have a question on this. The Gemara Bracha says if someone screams out in prayer for something in the past, it's a wasted prayer. For example, a woman is pregnant, and you say, Hashem, please make it that my wife should have a boy. And she's already many months pregnant, and the sex has been determined already. That's a wasted prayer, because it is what it is. What are you praying for? It's not going to change. Uh, or let's see here, screaming in the city. It's like a terrible thing happens. So I hope it wasn't in my house. Well, that's a wasted prayer, because either it was in your house or it wasn't in your house. So we see that prayer is not able to do things retroactively. That's a good question on what he just said. So he says, well, the rabbis aren't, are, uh, are only talking about the reality of prayer. Does it help retroactively or not? But on the other hand, when we talk about the laws of prayer, you don't pray for something that's already been decided. For example, when Elisha wanted to bring back the dead child from the Shunamis, he didn't say to Hashem, make the dead boy like he never died, change the retroactive. He said, let him be alive now. So he didn't do that. So therefore, you don't ask to change things retroactively. But a power of tefillah can do that. Okay, with all due respect to Rapinkas, and he's a million times greater rabbi than me, I don't understand the proof. You know what? This is what the Rebbe could have answered. The Rebbe, I don't know why the Rebbe didn't answer it, you know? The fact that they sent the telegraph, there could have been, you know, like you send an email, it gets lost in the ether. The fact they got the telegraph was because they prayed. Or better yet, the czar could, change it, could have changed his mind since he sent the telegraph. Or more than that, the people over here who received the telegraph could have ripped it up and not listened to it. So I don't know why he didn't answer that. And the same thing with the proof from the town, from the story that the women had all the children. They were pregnant. Yes. That six tuplets, yes. But how often do six tuplets all survive? Not all pregnancies go full term, especially six tuplets. So therefore, I'm not minimizing the power of prayer, chas v'shom. But that chiddush that he's saying that it goes retroactively, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, And it seems to make more sense. We don't pray for what happened in the past. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'm sure there's more to discuss on that issue. But it's one of the, as I say, Fair and balanced to the way I understand it. It's, it's a little bit difficult. Okay, we go back to the famous Medrash as well about Menashe, the king of Yehuda. We know the terrible Menashe. And he was captured by the king of Ashur. 
and they were putting him in a in a cauldron to be dinner for the cannibals. And he calls out to all the idols, and they don't help him. And then he calls out to Hashem, and Hashem says, "If you save me, if it's fine. If not, then you're no different than anybody else." And Hashem answered him. Okay, we, we discussed all sorts of malachim didn't want to hear it said, but Hashem answered. So the question is, how did Menashe have the guts? To say if Hashem doesn't answer me, then there's no difference in Hashem and all the other idols. Does Hashem have to receive his prayer? Especially a repulsive prayer like that. You know what? I Hashem, I'm because I'm greater than all the gods, but you're a bum and I wouldn't answer you. Chutzpah. So what gave him the guts to say what he said? The answer is when Achim was alive, we had a base amigdash. Menashe. We had a base amigdash. And when you have a base amigdash, at least in the first temple, every prayer was received. The power of prayer was to bring overt miracles. Everything was revealed. There was no hester panim. Good example. A woman's a sota. Questionable whether she had an illicit affair when her husband warned her not to. And what do we see? If she was indeed guilty, her stomach busted. Is that not a miracle? She's just drinking water with the dirt. That's all it is. It's when do you, your stomach bust, explode. It was a nice goalie, revealed, right? So the, so the rules of nature did not apply. So therefore, Menashe could say, listen, you can do real miracles. And a miracle like helping out a bum like me, that's an avert miracle. She should be able to do this. Okay, that was uh, that was Menashe when we had a Beis but now we live in a period of darkness. It's a period of concealed miracles. Every moment there's miracles, but they're very concealed. Okay, and in if in our generation, for example, if you take a Jew would be taken and be put into a boiling pot of water and he's tied up, right? A Jew could pray all day long, but he can't be certain that Hashem will save him because we're now living in a time where there's much more concealment. But that doesn't change the essence of prayer. We can ask for miracles. It's not a certainty anymore because we don't have a base on English. Okay. But we can ask for things that naturally wouldn't happen and it could be Hashem may answer if the whole scheme of things allows that to happen. Right? And even we live in a generation where we don't see overt miracles, we need to know and believe that every prayer can cause other miracles. We just don't always know the connection. Let's give an example. Let's say a person is praying that his neighbor should be healed. Very sick, he prays for it, prays ours, ours. That person dies. Okay, so what are you going to think? Well, I guess it didn't work. No, 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 no. It went to Hashem, and he was asking Hashem to do a miracle. Hashem received that prayer. Hashem says, you want a miracle, a miracle will happen. The only thing is not with this person. Two, three days later, another little kid is playing in the street in that neighborhood, and uh, he, uh, he runs out, right in front of a car and in the last second the car just went away for whatever reason 
That's the miracle. You down from it, you got a miracle. But it doesn't work in an overt way. Right? So who made the miracle? How did that miracle happen? The miracle happened from the tefillah that was asking for a miracle for somewhere else. But the connection isn't revealed. That's the point. So even though when you're asking for miraculous things to happen, if they don't, something miraculous will happen somewhere, but we won't necessarily see the connection. Okay. So we go back to where we started yesterday, where we said that the very first prayer in the world was Adama Rishon's prayer, where he asked for the rain, and at that time there was no nature for rain. Now we're used to rain, and we think it's a normal thing. But again, Chazal, with their sensitivity, you know, understood what rain really means. And they came to the conclusion, as I mentioned yesterday, that it's such an amazing thing, it's even greater than the resurrection of the dead. Now for us, that would appear to be miracles, right? But that's the point. Tefillah is the essence of a person. A, per a Jew is not connected to nature. The bread doesn't satisfy him. But listening to Hashem satisfies him. So there's no reality that cannot happen for the person, no matter how sick you are. It's all is possibilities. The problem is we're so used to seeing everything in a natural way. We're used to seeing nature, so we can't believe things can be the opposite. But prayer is that the Davka is saying the life world doesn't work by nature. And if someone would give up hope for praying for a very sick person, that really is a deficiency of the basic understanding of what the essence of prayer is. Now, true, it's right, you know, if this sick person who's deathly sick is going to get up from the bed or not, that's not our issue. But the issue is we have to know that prayer could do it. That's what we have to believe. And if it doesn't do it here, it'll do it somewhere else. And therefore... Before we come to the Amida and we ask and we supplicate, we have to know and recognize the pow power of Tefillah when it is. And to recognize that Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echod, there is a supernatural connection that we have between us and Hashem that transcends all the laws of nature. And the whole world, it's all nature, is just nothing compared to the unity of Hashem. And relative to the love and the clinging that we have with Hashem, and that becomes the next few words, Hashem you love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul and all your resources. And that's the preparation for Hashem bringing us into his private room in the Amida. Therefore, we close our eyes when we say the Shema. We separate from the world of nature that we see and say, what I see, I'm not going to be locked into what I see. I want to be connected to Hashem without any boundaries, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my resources. Every place when I'm, when I'm going on the road, sitting down, going to sleep, Krishma is emuna. It's not just, you know, an intellectual understanding, but it's a belief that Hashem is all-powerful and can do everything that's possible. And if you have that understanding, then you can start seriously uh, moving into the Amida. Okay, that ended that chapter. Now he begins another chapter that discusses the idea of recognizing the unity of Hashem is an important preparation for davening it as well.
What is the primary goal of the Kriya Shema? Is to reach an understanding of the unity of Hashem. Yichud Hashem. Now this concept is beyond what the mind can imagine. The Gemara talks about Rabbi Yirmiya, who had a vet when he finished the Kriya Shema by Echad. He'd have a very long Echad. Echad. And Rabbiya Baraba said to him, he says, since you've coronated Hashem above, below, and to all four corners of the world, you don't have to coronate him anymore. Right? That's what it is. You're coronating him in every direction. So that, what does that mean to say? You don't have to coronate him. You're not obliged to coronate him more. But there is more that you could coronate Hashem of. We think that, you know, okay, we have six directions. That's what we think. There's more directions. <laughs> There's things that trans, that trans uh, uh, go beyond, transcend time and everything. It's like, it's like way beyond. It's just a drop in the bucket because there's a rule. There's no end to God's unity. There's no boundaries. <laughs> the unity is goes on forever. And therefore, one of the most fundamental things about the Kriyashma, as we said, is that it is a preparation for the Amida. So one of those is that the Shema Yisrael itself, its goal is to have us reach the understanding, the unity of Hashem. Rabbi Akiva, as he was being flayed to death by the Romans, says, all my life I paint myself over the Pasuk with all your soul." Even if they take your soul. I said, when will it come to me that I'll be able to fulfill this? But the truth of the matter is, even when we do that, we still have not reached the goal. The goal is the Shemona Esri. We come before the Hashem, the goal of, the ultimate goal is we daven the whole Amida and we end Baruch Ato Hashem, Hamavarech, Esamo Yisrael, Barshalom. We finish the Amida. And what does that mean, Hashem? blesses the Jewish people with peace. That means there's a complete unity between the Jews and Hashem. That's what Shalom is. Shalom is Shlemus, perfection. There's a perfect relationship between us and Hashem. That's the bottom line. How do we get to that? Oh, we got to build a structure. A structure that's a goal within itself that leads us to this future goal. And that is what we call the Yichud Hashem, the unity of Hashem. If you don't reach a real reality of living in the unity of Hashem, there's no possibility to get to the goal of shalom, a complete unity between us and Hashem. So first we have to get to the goal of Yichud Hashem, which is Kriyashma, and only after that can we then reach the Amida to hope for the ultimate goal of a complete connection between us and Hashem. So therefore, how do we do this? So we have two jobs over here. When we talk about Yichud Hashem, what does it mean? So the fundamental point of Yichud Hashem is to recognize the true reality of Hashem. Not only that Hashem created all the things that we see now, that Hashem created the table and everything else that's there, but the whole reality is just Hashem. Or as the Rambam says in Hilchas Yesodi Torah, 
everything that's found from the heavens and the earth and everything that's in between them is only found because of the true reality of Hashem. All reality, all senses that we have, feelings, love, hatred, hope, pain, all Hashem gives it constant existence. Hashem is the essence of all that reality. And when we come to that stage, that is called Yichud Hashem, that we associate everything of Hashem within the creation. In other words, it's not Hashem created. Hashem is here. This is Hashem. This is all the manifestation of Hashem. And we get to that stage. That's the Yichud Hashem. We're attributing Hashem within the entire creation. Okay. And that is the Yichud that has a whole different message than the first idea that Hashem just created things. And that's the real message that we have to bring into the Amida. Because there we come to the recognition that everything is Hashem. You're the whole reality. And it's very close to us. In other words, we have we have we have two expressions, we have two goals. And that's how Hashem appears in the world. One is the simple definition that Hashem gives life to everything that exists. All existence comes from Hashem. And that certainly happens when we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkein Hashem Echad. That's the expression of the unity of Hashem on the simple level to define that that which we have in the world is all from Hashem. But we haven't gotten to the goal. That the goal is that everything does is for the good. That's a separate and much more intense understanding of to understand what's going on in the world. The whole world is one big kiss from Hashem. It's one big hug and a kiss from Hashem that's unlimited. It's not, you know, that a machine is made this all. Not a disinterested king created it all. It's Hashem who loves us. He's showing us this love. Everything we see in this world is a big hug. And as we've said many times, the definition of tefillah, from the word naftulelu kim niftalti, it's expression of connection. And the Rambam Paskins, there's three parts to prayer, which we all understand. And the obligation is fulfilled if, number one, a person uh, uh, mentions God's praises to Hashem, then he asks for his needs, and then he gives thanks to Hashem for the goodness that Hashem will be giving him. Okay? So that's that's the rule that it is. That, that's how we have prayer. Okay, so now what is that bringing us to? Well, the goal is for us to cling to Hashem, to speak to Hashem, to develop a strong bond with Hashem. And that explains why so many of the prayers are requests from Hashem. As we say in many places, it's called Bakashas Rachamim, asking for mercy. Why is there so much requesting? Because if the goal of prayer is for us to create this bond with Hashem, and what's the most, the deepest essence of a person is his desires. So we're co- combining our desires to Hashem. What do I need? Health, it's a big thing. My health is a big thing. My ability to take care of my family is a big thing. Hashem wants us to connect with him for those things that we want the most. 
What do you really want? A person's a person. And he cannot deny what he really wants. Everybody here needs a parnas. Many of us need refuah. And that desire is mamish. Your whole heart's into this. And with all that, I'm sharing that with Hashem. Okay. So that's as we said so many times, the goal of the prayer is not to get your prayers answered, but it's a connection that we feel with Hashem. To realize that you're the only one we can rely on. So I feel so close to you. Okay. And if we really reflect, even the praises that we say at the beginning of our davening, they also fit into our desires. Gomel chasarim tovim lamo Yisrael. Hashem do many wondrous things for the Jews. Well, that's way in the beginning. But it corresponds to, you know, we call Hashem rofei cholim. All these things, they're all showing what our, our, our greatest needs are. And if the goal is to feel our connection to Hashem, we want to get to that ultimate highest level is the last words. So when we are saying the brach of Sim Shalom, we mamish at this point should be hugging Hashem with no barriers that we're totally connected with Hashem. And therefore, but before we can do this, we have to know that Hashem grasps everything. And that's what the Shema is doing. If Hashem is everything, and He's given all that with tremendous love for us, and that's the real Echad, then we know He's the only one we can ask things for. We can ask for everything in the world from Him. And that shows our innermost desires, and we get completely connected to Hashem, and there's a tremendous peace between us and Hashem. So it's not possible to really approach the Amida without... Um, bringing out the fundamentals of the Kriyashma. If we don't recognize the unity of Hashem, how are you going to totally connect to Hashem? And therefore it's interesting. So we asked, we mentioned, what about Mincha? How come there's no Shema by Mincha? So we say, the Kabbalists use an expression, the brains of Shachris extend into the Mincha. In other words, the impression that Shema Yisrael made in the morning stays with us. All the way through Mincha. But when it gets dark, oh, it's getting dark, then we need a refresher. Then it's been a long time since Shachas. So then we have to come back with a second reminder. Now he asks a great question over here. We know that Kriya Shema is a biblical mitzvah. Biblical mitzvah. The saying the Amida per se is only a rabbinic mitzvah. It's only a rabbinic mitzvah. And we said, though, that, that the Shimon Esri is the pinnacle. So how can the pinnacle be rabbinic? Well, the step before it is biblical. Isn't that a great question? So he says, you're right. Biblically, the knowledge that Hashem is one, that is the ultimate point you have to reach. Rabbinically, we're just saying, and what becomes the result of that understanding? If you read, knowing God is one and living that reality, that's the biblical mitzvah. So what's the result of that? The result is a strong connection to Hashem. And that strong connection you cannot command. That has to come from the person himself. That has to come from the person himself. 
I can command you to really understand that Hashem is the true reality. That's true. Okay, that's biblical. But now to go and talk to Hashem that way and live in that reality, okay, that's got to come out of your own desires. And that's something we cannot command. Okay, so I think it's a good place to stop because we're getting into a whole no long thing. So we'll leave it over here. There's still, oh, at least another three classes to continue this discussion of Shema. Then we have to Baruch Shem Kavod. So we'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you.